0: Hey, what's up guys, Chad Hermanson here with Mental Edge Training Coach. Today I have one of my best friends, Nick Day is gonna be chatting with us. Nick Day and I grew up together here in Las Vegas. We went to high school together, and basically every day together through high school. So it's gonna be fun to have him on board. He's gonna share his experience about what it was like to be the top outfield prospect in the 96 MLB draft, what it was like for him, how he handled those pressures, And then how he eventually ended up going to Stanford, one of the best schools in the country, as we know. And then he's going to share his story about his stint in the minor leagues, what that was like, and then eventually being the head coach at Bishop Gorman and winning a national championship there. And also what it's like as a father coaching his 12-year-old son through the club scene and how he handles his interaction with his son. So hopefully you enjoy this conversation with Nick Day. Nick Day, my boy, what's up, man? Hey, Joe. what's
1: happening? I've been, you know, I've been waiting for someone to finally get me on so I can get my opinion out there, but uh, <laughs> good, to see you. good to see you. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a while. We we were both in Vegas. We're, we're, uh, well, we've been friends since I moved from from Utah to, to Vegas when I was 11, 12 years old, uh, teammates, best friends. We were together day to day. Yeah. So, I mean, like we talked about before, we can go so many directions with this. Let's start with um, number one. You are dressed in full uniform right now.
1: I am. I am. I I almost got to undress here a little bit, but let me put the wristband back on. I got the wristband. (laughs) This This is only for my Little League team here. There you go. Dusty Baker. I got to look official. If I don't, you know, how's anyone going to believe I'm a coach if I don't have a uniform on? So So we're
0: recording this. It's Sunday afternoon and my boy's in full uniform. Um, Just a side story. If I correct me if I'm wrong, but when I came to Las Vegas, my first year in Nashville, uh, we came to Vegas. We're playing the Pacific Coast League. And I believe, were you still at Stanford at this time? Were you still in college? Most likely, yeah. It was in the summertime, right? So you, you show, got to
1: play in like five seconds. So yes.
0: <laughs> so you show up, and I got all my family and friends there. It's the first time I've been drafted, and then playing in my hometown. You show up. Tell us what, what are you what are you wearing when you show up to the game? As a as a fan and friend.
1: I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure I was in full uniform. You, you I, had um, my
0: you had my jersey on.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I was in your full uniform. <laughs> and I found, like, the oldest, biggest, you know, Dale Murphy autographed glove that I could find in the garage it was probably my dad's back in the day, trying to catch foul balls, and I was up on the front row hollering for you. Yeah,
0: like a maniac. Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: it. That's Tried to
0: try to embarrass your friend, and I'm I, I don't know this guy. I Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: especially, you know, especially yelling at your manager.
0: Right, right. I'll so listen. yeah, Nick
1: and I we go way back.
0: Um, man, I, there's so many. Like I said before, there's so many different paths we can go down. Let's start with. Um, well, I'm gonna let you choose. What do you want to start with? Because this is this is the Nick Day Show today. What do you want to talk about?
1: Well, uh, you know, there's there's so many there there's so many things that I could talk about. Um, I, I've been talking to my brother quite a bit, you, you know, Chris, he's starting to get into the club ball scene with his youngest son. Oh, I always think that he's like six cause he's small like Chris, but he's like 10. Mm-hmm. He's probably, yeah, he's probably playing 10 and under. And Chris goes back and forth with, you know, how to do things and how is this right? Or is that right? And, and so it brings up a lot of things, you know, that, that I've dealt with over the years. Um, you know, God, I mostly think of myself as a coach now, not as a not as a guy that actually played. But um, but just some of the things that are the, the instruction going on, uh, the the club ball scene, especially here in Las Vegas. Um, what that what's that doing to kids? What's that teaching them? Things are falling off behind me. <laughs> so uh, your picture just fell off. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, whatever. It uh, a quick tape job. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway but yeah but so that's been that's been on my mind quite a bit is 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 this the best thing for our kids because i'm at the point now where i'm telling my son who came back and came back into little league and we were going to play his 12 year old season here let him have that run and you know i even was going to coach because i you can't win that thing without a philosophy and a coach you remember Every team's got kids that just throw gas at that age. Right. And, you know, our league's got a couple of them. And if you don't have the right approach, you know, I figure you have to go almost with a two strike approach all the way through from first pitch, get that ace out of the game. Because you get to 85 pitches, the kid's gone in Little League.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I had all this already planned out. I remember, do you remember when Dante Bichette's team went to the Little League World Series? I no. He coached I don't. his son, and he took. Okay. The, they went to the Little League World Series. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching, and every one of their guys had their foot down, everything early, and there was definitely a system they bought into. Okay. And you know, so I was thinking the same thing. But then I was thinking, after this, are we going to go back into the club ball scene? Is he going to, you know, what are we going to do next? And so that's been on my mind too. And and what's good about it, and what's bad about it, and. You know, it's it's. Uh, I feel like if you don't do it, you get left behind the kids that are doing it. And if you do do it, there's definitely some obstacles and and things that I that I'm not crazy about. But it is what it is. And you know, just the reps is the most important thing, just getting reps. And so we'll be jumping back into that, and that'll be fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, like speaking of reps, I had a conversation uh, not too long ago with Taylor Myers about getting reps at a young age, right? Where we we, we see these 8U, 9U, 10U teams. And I think it's okay to have those teams, but are we training these young kids that can't handle four days of practice a week? You know, their ligaments and their joints. And I brought Taylor on because he's had all these multiple injuries and he was one of those poster boys for that young little league stud that we used every single game, almost as much right. as possible, and now his arms just shredded, you know.
1: Yeah, we pretty much flipped two guys. We, you know, Taylor Myers and 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 Matt Dewitt, who pitched in the big leagues as well. It almost went every other game down the stretch yeah. with those two. And man, that's a. Uh, we had a couple other good arms, but I mean, you and I both probably threw, you know, just as hard as uh, anybody out there, and we never even pitched in the league. That's it's well, that's crazy.
0: in my case, thank goodness, right? We we didn't we didn't need that act out there. Well, I got
1: lit up too. Let's, let's not make (laughs) any mistakes about it, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it is, it's a lot of use. It's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of wear and tear. I know some people take care of their arms. Well, they do a lot of, you know, the proper exercises, the rotator cuff stuff, but you you still got to wonder at that age, um, what is, what effect does that have on them? Yeah. Um, I did learn something interesting from, from my brother, who's, who's a physical therapist, where Connor got back into it. My son, Connor, got back into it last spring as, at 11. And Chris had said, because of the way his body's developing, it's very important that he is throwing now because there's a, it's a proven, I, I shouldn't talk about this because I really don't know about it, but some, it's proven that all these guys that are throwing through that growth period, they develop a certain muscle or a certain I don't know what it is that that makes them throw harder, and anyone that wasn't pitching back then, no matter what their arms like, they they never end up having the same kind of velocity as as the kid that is, and it's uh it's interesting. So lucky for me, I've always been able to protect his arm, you know, keep him fresh, not over pitch him, but I've also coached club ball teams, and you know, you coach to win, you get up and you get, you know you get the the nerves and everything just like the kids you want to win you're competitive and it's hard not to throw your kids too much you know right so right
0: well let's let's dive into you know you as a player you we see the the stanford logo back there so you went to stanford you were a very high sought after prospect out of high school um we're the same age i drafted was or was graduated in 95 you were 96 the year after me and scouts were all over you the year of 1996 at green valley high school tell us what was that experience like for you
1: um scary no at, at the time i thought it was really cool you know and i thought uh and the, the cool thing for me was i saw it, it happened to you the year before so i wasn't too surprised or too blown away by it and i think it was able to keep me as humble as anybody can because it was just it was more normal to me because I just watched you do it the year before. But you know, as the weeks went on and you have, I don't remember if it was the pro I think it was the pro guy. No, it was the college guys first, because they're all trying to get you to sign early. Yep. And then it was all the pro scouts after that. And it's like every night at your house and you're you know trying to live your senior year and have fun and <laughs> And I didn't think that any of that pressure ever got to me, you know, I'm like, that, that doesn't bug me. There's no pressure. And uh, I remember I almost didn't get cleared to play because I had high blood pressure. Okay. And the doctor was like, what's going on with this kid? He seems to be in perfectly good health. In fact, you know, he's a big, strong athlete. What's the deal? And my mom knew right away and told him. And so, yeah, obviously I was feeling the the pressure of all that. And, and I got off to a real slow start my senior year too, but, uh, you know, figured it out, got got back to normal, and, and enjoyed the rest of it. But uh, as cool as it is, it it was uh, definitely adds pressure, and, and it's nerve-wracking, and, and all that stuff.
0: When you have all those eyes on you, what did you do? Because I, when I when I work with athletes one-on-one, there's those pressure moments, right? And how do how do you handle these? Like, is there things you can can think about or do, or not just you just don't worry about it? You just say that. Sometimes that doesn't work. What was it for you that were you able to finally like block them out at some point or how did you get through that?
1: That's a good question. And so I think for me, what it was is I think I felt that at the beginning of the season and the, the pre-conference tournaments and things like that. But when it came down to it, I always was a, um, just a guy that could hit in the clutch. I, I, I wanted to be up to bat. I remember if if there was two outs and big game and I was on deck, I mean, I would almost be praying just to get a chance, you know, Mm -hmm. I wanted to get up so bad. And once we got to those key games and those big moments, everything else just shut out. I didn't think about where I was going to school, what scout was watching me. It didn't matter. I I could zone everything else out and really lock in. Mm -hmm. And if I was able to do that every at bat, after that, you know, college, you know, a couple of years of pro ball, I did play, you know, I could still, <laughs> I could still be playing. I'd be – my body's broken as it is. But, but, you know, I could have played a lot longer, I think. But but something, you know, something to me always clicked in those situations, and there was a – there was a different kind of focus. Yeah. And I wish I could have created that all the time, but but I couldn't. I mean, it's too many of that. Yeah, events. yeah and, I, and I think that's all part of – training,
0: right? Training yourself to figure out, okay, what points do I need to focus and get that sign from my coach? Boom. I'm focused on my, my job is to see the ball and hit it. You know, when we get in the box before it's like, maybe you're thinking about crap, you know, I, you're thinking about what pitch is thrown, you know, my girlfriend's watching me from the stands that recruiter from Stanford's, you know, I know he's going to be here for the next two days. I better impress him. Right. So if you're thinking about all those other things, the things that you can't control, we're going to be in – we're going to have a really hard time of staying focused and, and paying attention to what we need to pay attention to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and even little game things like, you know, both we both had good speed, you know, especially for our size and, and uh, you know, we stole bases. And little things like just paying attention to the pitcher's move and, and his delivery and and is he tipping anything – some of that stuff you, you're you not paying attention to because there's other things going on and you forget about those little things that made you, you know, a good to great player because you picked up on those type of things. And yeah, those things sometimes, you know, it's like, what inning am I in? This is yeah so much going on. Right, absolutely.
0: So you, you have a really good senior year. Um, scouts have been watching you all year. Um, at what point, because you you end up going to Stanford um, walk us through how you got to Stanford cause you were still drafted out of high school and walk us through how that worked for you.
1: Yeah, for me, um, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of different stories and rumors about what happened behind the scenes, but I don't ever try to worry about that too much. For me, it was pretty simple. Um, once it was, I committed to Stanford, it was going to take quite a bit of money, uh, to get me to um, not go to college. Um, I had considered signing with some other schools. Um, I think Arizona state was the, was the front runner behind Stanford and USC. And I thought if I went to a different school that I would probably consider signing for less. And, um, but still that I was projected to go kind of mid first round to mid second round. And when that projection kind of went back a little bit to mid-second round to maybe third or fourth round, and then the whole Stanford thing, with them not wanting to lose a top pick, pushed me back a little bit more to, to the fifteenth round. But, and that made it a little bit easier on the decision. But sure. it would have been it would have been really hard. But I, I just wanted to go play. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, school is great, and I can't imagine not having that experience now. But, you know, as an eighteen-year-old, I wanted to just play and get there as fast as i could you know
0: and tell us tell us who you were drafted by and who was your scout
1: well so i was drafted by the pittsburgh pirates at a high school and uh, i'm pretty sure showing up to your game was the uh was why i didn't get offered any money because they're like oh never mind on that guy <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah so draft that that was actually a cool thing because it's like man it, go get to play with Chad again, but you're already like three levels up. And I was like, no, I'll never play them again. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But you, so we were drafted
0: by the same team, by the same scout, correct? Roy Smith. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I did a show with Roy Smith a few weeks ago. So you'll have to check that one out too. But, yeah. um, but now that's awesome. So you were, so your 15th round pirates opted to go to Stanford, which any, as a scout now, anybody who's even committed to Stanford we know for the most part that it's very likely they're going to go there. So we'll still scout them. We know it's going to take a lot of money to get that player from Stanford because it's such a great education. And, and that's, I think that's the way it should be. You know, Stanford is Stanford for a reason. What was your experience like going to Stanford?
1: Well, Stanford, Stanford is an awesome place. And you're right. The, the rumor mill was saying that I wasn't going to even consider anything less than a million dollars. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where it came from or who started it, or if that's just a, a typical, you know, what scouts think. But um, but that wasn't necessarily the case with me, although ultimately it would have been close to that anyway. So true. Sure. And then I also dealt with, you know, in 95, your year Chad Hutchinson was drafted by the Braves um, and offered a, quite a bit of money and turned it down to go to Stanford.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But he was also a quarterback, so I didn't. I don't know why the football team didn't want me, <laughs> uh, but no, the experience was amazing because it humbles you really quickly. You know, you think you're, you're cool. Cause all the attention you just got the year before you think you're going to be this big man on campus. And you find out that this girl lifting weights next to you in the weight room who's outlifting you, by the way, <laughs> won three medals in the Olympics, at swimming, you know, uh, Jane Thompson. Uh, I went to school with Carrie Walsh, uh, you know, so the other kind of athletes that are there kind of humble you a little bit, mm-hmm. and then besides that, just, just how smart some of the people are, some of the other students, and and you know, I went to school with Chelsea Clinton and became friends with her, so I mean, pretty, and you've been to Stanford campus as well, it doesn't get any prettier than that and any better than that, so yeah, it's amazing. So really lucky to have that opportunity and and really glad that i didn't let uh baseball persuade me to go another direction and that doesn't mean i'm sitting here telling people don't don't sign and go to school That's just for me stanford was definitely a blessing
0: yeah so i was able to come hang out with you with our, our buddy trevor jensen for a few days uh while you were practicing and i and i obviously i was done with that. i think it was in the fall I think I had some time in yeah. between there and we're hanging out and um, just watching the. Cause I was like, well, what's this college experience like, you know, and just, and you would tell us our schedule, your schedule. And I'm like, yeah, oh, this is insane. You know, yeah. and tell walk us through like, cause I know you had some ups and downs at Stanford. Um, yeah. I tell did. us about your experiences there.
1: So yeah, you're right. So I came in and uh, I'll go to the baseball second, but But yeah, the schedule is, it is insane. You know, you'll do your conditioning and and weight training in the morning, grab some breakfast and go hit class all morning. And you try not to schedule any classes in the afternoon because you got baseball every day. Mm -hmm. And those classes are difficult. Uh, But I learned quickly that as hard as it was to get an A, it was also probably going to be that hard to actually fail. And so you kind of learn how much work you got to put in and where you can find some balance in life. Cause that's important anywhere. You gotta, you gotta be able to have some fun and, and, you know, have some, you know, hang out with friends and do all that kind of stuff. And that's all part of college. So Stanford's no different.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the, the guys I lived with and played with up there are still some of my best friends. And, and uh, so, so you get that part out of college, but, um, but it's intense The the, you know, finals come around and, the best the best way I could put this is you know who Eric Brunlett is. A lot of a lot of baseball guys know Eric Brunlett, utility infielder, played almost 10 years, won some world series with the Phillies. He played behind uh Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley when they were at their prime. So he was you know behind the best two guys in the game. And and he uh he was a genius. He didn't go to class much, he flipped through his book. And we took the same classes. We'd ask him how to do it and he just he couldn't be bothered to teach us idiots how to do it. And <laughs> we would get an a on the final and we would I mean we would study our butts off and and have a real hard time trying to understand some of the stuff we were taught. But right. But nonetheless, you know, learned enough to get through and and uh, make some great connections. So so that was um it's just it's just an awesome experience. You just can feel the prestige when you walk on campus and and what it means to be there. So that's cool. And then, you know, the baseball was with some adjustments for me, they changed the way I hit pretty much from day one and knowing what I know now, I just, I shake my head at some of the things they had me do and I'm not, you know, knocking anybody, but they thought I had a long swing. And when I watched my swing in high school, I was very short to the ball and really long out front, which, is what I would want my son to do. It's what I would want anyone to do. And, and they right. took it as, as just being really long in general. So they stood me up, took my legs out of my swing. I lost a lot of power. Um, you know, we had a lot of upperclassmen my first year, so I struggled getting the playing time I thought I would get. But even then, I was okay with that. I didn't, didn't give me a bad attitude. I still got to go to Cape Cod. Mm-hmm. next summer I got you know as team USA trials that that next fall so so things were still going well um, but uh, you know we always have new new guys coming in whether that be uh, you know freshmen sophomores whatever so there's always someone behind you and, and there's always people ahead of you and you know you you always gotta fight for that spot but I just remember the more that I got to see that Pac-12 pitching and, and those, those guys throw, you know, the easier it became, the slower it became you know you slow the game down a little bit. And, and then the, the baseball there is just awesome. The, the three day weekends and the, the great places to play in the Pac-12 and uh, you know, I got to go to the college world series twice. So I was lucky and do that whole thing. And that's just a blast. So I had a pretty good, pretty good college experience.
0: Yeah, and you, go, you went there for, was it three years, and then you transferred out?
1: Right? Yeah, yeah, I went three years. Um, if you remember, I tore my ACL my, after my sophomore year. So I was coming back from ACL surgery my junior year. And uh, that summer, I had an amazing summer uh, up in Alaska. And I decided um, just so that I could swing the way I wanted to swing, I would go somewhere else. I went to BYU to play with Vance Law. There were some, some strategic moves behind that with uh, a scholarship I knew that would be available. So mm-hmm. that, all, that was fun, too. And now I got all my BYU friends and got to play up there. But, um, yeah, it was a long, long little journey to finally get a taste of pro ball and, and went through that. And uh, that didn't last long, but that's all right. You know, I don't have any regrets about any of it, and that's the thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so you were, so you were a senior sign at a BYU right? Mm-hmm. Correct. And, and it, it, now who drafts you
1: and, and tell us about your league ex-
0: experience.
1: So I was drafted by San Diego. And so I got in the Padres organization and the Padres put a lot of college guys in the short season league up in the pioneer league was, I don't know if they're still there now, but that's where I went. And so I got to see a lot of young high school guys that were just drafted throwing, you know, they threw hard. But they're used to just throwing their fastball by mm-hmm. everybody in high school, and so for me that that meant I was going to hit really well. You know? <laughs> and so I I was there for just a couple of weeks. You know, I hit like 460 in that league with a few home runs, and got moved up to the Midwest, and that changed real quick. Started seeing some pretty good off-speed pitches, and uh, learned what real sliders were, and I didn't like those very much. You <laughs> like straight ball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Curveball is one thing. I could usually kind of pick it up at some point, but when you're throwing it, it's just as hard as your fastball. And then it, you know, that's not that's not a fair pitch. That should be uh, outlawed. I agree. But uh, anyway, you should only be
0: allowed three pitches max. I think.
1: Like, right? <laughs> you know, I remember I remember the first time I faced a guy that threw two different sliders at me. Like one was slow and one was hard, and I'm like it was the guy I played with in the Cape, and I was like, asked him after the game. I said, "That's not fair. How, when, how long have you been doing that?" He's like, "I've been doing that forever." <laughs> hey,
0: how, how dare you keep me off balance? Yeah, that's
1: it's not cool at all. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, so my first season actually went pretty well. But when I got moved up, you know, you people probably don't know this, but you get you find out you're getting moved up after the game. They say, you're getting on a plane at four in the morning, call your parents, get packed. We're taking you to the airport, you know, two in the morning, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so you do all that, you're excited. And, uh, you know, you say bye to your your friends that you just had and you go fly up to uh, wherever the next club is. And that team, we were playing on the road and we were in, I believe, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And I just got to the... I just got to the stadium at the end of batting practice. Mm-hmm. I didn't take batting practice. I was tired. I was like, man, finally, I'm going to just, you know, get to rest a little bit. And lineup comes up. On the <laughs> line, you know, and It's got me in the cleanup spot. And I'm like, oh, yeah. you have to be kidding me. And I actually hit well that game. But the, the uh, I think my last at bat, I hit a ground ball that was a little bit in the hole. So I had a chance to beat it out. And I pulled my hammy there and had hammy problems the rest of the year. Mm. And then the next year I saw, just because of those hamstring problems, I saw guys that I had, you know, moved past the years before. Um, I saw them getting more at-bats than me. And I saw some younger guys, you know, that weren't weren't great getting getting a lot of looks and at-bats. And I talked to the minor league director and I said, Hey, I understand what's going on. I know these young guys need a look and they need at bats and, but we both know I'm better than they are. So if they're playing, it means you have them projected to be better than me. I get it. And I'm I'm not sour about it, but if that's the case, I got my, you know, I have a degree, I have other things to do. And so I I left Mm -hmm. and, you know, and I, and I do think that was the right decision. I do think that, um, at least with the Padres, they had kind of thought as maybe an injury prone guy or just maybe wasn't going to make it or whatever it is. But I could see that that interest dropped just in one year. Right. And so I was able to recognize it. And I always think if if you, especially if you've been to college and the quicker you can get started on something else, the better off you are. So, yeah. No, it's you know.
0: tough because a lot of guys hang out in A-ball for a couple of years. Right. And they and they don't have that awareness. And they're like, man, why am I only playing like twice a week? And they see these guys that are maybe prospects or whatever the case may be. They keep playing more than them. And you're like, why am I not playing? This is my third year in high A ball. I'm like, well, you're lucky you made it this far, you know, third year. In right. Um, right. So, but I no, I think that's right. Because you were, you know, you go through four years of college and you're not, you're not 18 years old coming out you're you're 22 or closer to 23 so uh, two years in you're now already 25 you know and at 20 like for me personally my my big league career was over at 25 yeah and I I had a window of 21 to 25 and then I that was the last time I sniffed the big leagues you know so it's uh it's crazy how and, and it took me my my last year in AAA and I got back into some things with uh it was the Marlins at that time I got back into it. I'm 30 years old. I'm now an old guy. You know, I got
1: young right. prospects. Like, How did I become the old guy? What's going yeah. on? I'm like, I guess I've been playing a long time now, you know, and, um, you call the veteran for the first time. Yeah. Your yeah. grandpa
0: or pops, you know, and yo, know, young, young players are asking advice, you know, you'd rather
1: go, you'd rather go hang out with the coaches than, the... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. But no, yes. that's
0: cool. So you, so you started – so your playing career and ended there, and then now you start to transition and kind of start to do some things. Um, you did some what, financial services for a little while. Walk us through what happened after your playing career.
1: Yeah, so it's an interesting story because, you know, you and I grew up together, and we never thought in our minds that we weren't going to play pro baseball, you know, in the major leagues for, you know, a decent amount of time. Mm -hmm. you know when we were kids we probably thought that was 20 years or whatever but you know knowing better as we got older but still we thought we would have some stint where we made some pretty good money and then who knows but we never really thought about what we would do if that didn't happen right and you know in all fairness to 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 us and 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 me if anyone you know that isn't familiar with us sees this we were both rated, you know, top 25 guys. I was rated the number one outfielder in the country when I was a senior in high school. Uh, you know, you were the 10th pick overall. So this wasn't just two kids with a pipe dream. You know, this was, this got pretty realistic. And so when I had that talk with the minor league director and I told them, you know, I just, I just can't see myself riding around in a bus from, you know, town to town if I don't feel like I'm still progressing. And so I came home, you know, you know, now what's the world got for me? And <laughs> you really go, Oh man, I didn't, I did not plan for this. <laughs> now
0: what? Plan for this.
1: Right? <laughs> so, uh, so for me, I, I've been, I've done a few things. I've, you're right. I got into financial planning and I thought at the time, I thought, you know, a lot of guys that do make the big leagues, um, who, you know, who are friends of mine, maybe they'll let me manage their finances and that would be a great career for me. It would keep me close to the game. Uh, You know, what could go wrong? And I remember uh, Eric Burns gave me a visit uh, when he was with Oakland. And just as I was talking to him about what I could offer him and do for him, it was, I realized, you know, he gave me that, that, time of his just because of the friendships we had made he was a you know he went to UCLA I went to Stanford but his he was cousins with John Gall who you know is uh, one of my best friends and and so he gave me the the time of day but I realized that those guys didn't look at me as a financial planner they looked at me as a as the the guy they were messing around with you know back in Cape Cod or back in wherever you know so it was hard to, to think that those guys were going to look at me in that, in that light. And so I didn't really like it other than that. And so I got out of that. A, can, a position in the construction industry fell in my lap as a project manager, gave it a shot. And I realized that I liked it quite a bit. And I thought, man, I can make a career out of this. Mm-hmm. So I did that for five years. And then the recession hit. And when the recession hit, construction in Las Vegas just stopped. So that's, you know, back in 08. And I didn't get let go or anything, but the company I was with was going to try and keep everyone, but let, but cut everyone's salary. And I was coaching a club baseball team. I didn't have any kids yet. And I thought, man, this is pretty cool. Coaching is pretty fun. I kind of have a knack for it. Um, why don't I give it a shot now that if they're going to cut my salary? That was really what was holding me back was the, you know, the, the salary I would be giving up. And, and, uh, you know, and, ended up getting the head coaching position at Bishop Gorman high school. I uh, was pretty lucky. It happened my second year there and made a little run there with, uh, you know, having some pretty good players and, you know, you coached with me a year and, some different challenges at that school, but when you have good players, um, they can make you look good as a coach. And and we, uh, so I had a blast doing that and did that for five years. And, you know, I had that, that program was, you know, considered by Max Preps at the time, the number one baseball program in the country. And then it was like, for sure, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life because this is awesome, right? And so I thought I'd go, eventually we coach D1 somewhere and uh we just come home and see uh Michelle my wife's the look on her face you know she's trying to raise our little children and it just hit me that you know if I if I'm going to be a dad I gotta I don't know if the life of coaching is going to give me the time that uh that I want with them and, and I know a lot of coaches do struggle with that and make it work but um she never asked me to quit but I did and I got back into the construction business and I've, you know, worked my way in pretty well and done pretty well there. So I still am working for a general contractor, but I get to go through not only as a, you know, a player and then a coach at a, at a pretty good level. Um, but now as a coach dad, and that's a whole new experience, you know, it's a, it's a lot of pressure for your kid. If you know, when they hear all the stories about you and they don't want to hear it from you, you know, <laughs> they want to hear or listen, it right? They don't want to listen. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've learned how to kind of deal with my own son, when to push on him, when to leave him alone. And the cool thing now he he's 12. He's there's certain things I want to say to him, but I keep my mouth shut and I watch him make his own adjustments. And that's, that's pretty cool. I think, wow, man, I was just about to say something. I'm so glad I let him make his own adjustment because that taught him so much more. And uh, so it's pretty fun. He's he's got all the tools to be as good as he wants to be. He's just hasn't played as much as a lot of kids his age yet, but uh, you know, he's enormous, he's fast, he's got a rocket for an arm. So now I get to go through this whole next (laughs) few years of figuring out what to do with him. So, but that, it's gonna be fun. Yeah,
0: and it's interesting because um, and I want to say maybe even there was a conversation with your mom, because I'm really close with your mom. She was like my second mom growing up. And I, if I'm not, if I remember correctly, it was some along the lines when he first started playing little league, um, that you were somewhat hard on him, you know, in regards to whether it's making a mistake or stuff that we can tend to do as a coach and a parent, especially your kid. Um, but how 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 was that when he was younger and how did you make your adjustments as a father?
1: So when when he first started when he first started playing literally at like six and was like coach pitch, I would come to his game right after practice, so I'd be or a game and I'd be in full Bishop Gorman uniform and I terrified all the umpires and coaches in the league that they're <laughs> gonna do something wrong, you know. In fact, I remember one time his his umpire asking his coach to tell me to be quiet and his coach was like, I'm not telling, I'm not saying anything to (laughs) him, you know, so, uh, but it was just cute watching him play then, and then I actually wasn't going to coach him the next year, Mm -hmm. and we got a, we got a letter from the Little League saying his team didn't have a coach, and would any parent volunteer, and I remember writing that email saying, 'm probably uh I'm probably qualified enough to coach at that level, and let's uh sure I'll do it and I think my mom's probably right, I think some of the team frustration I probably took out on him a little bit, but uh I think my mom is one person like many other parents that I've had that mistake my excitement and intensity on the field for as yelling right at my kid, you know uh-huh. and so but, yeah, you know, you want him to learn how to play the right way. So time to time, you get hard on them. And then you think they understand that you're doing that as a coach. And it is a challenge. And so that's one thing I really had to work on when he started coming back was to really lay off him. Make like when we talked about what he did right or wrong, I would do it after the game in the car. He didn't like it if it was in front of his friends right you know one of his teammates that's when it really that's when he shut down mm-hmm. so i learned to even if it meant two more at bats of the same thing i was going to let it go talk to him after the game he was much more receptive to it and now he's you know a lot more confident where he can make those changes i can say stuff to him now and you know sometimes he gets mad but other times it's just <laughs> okay i got it and and he and he can you know I don't get the same butterflies I used to get when he played, you know, two years ago. Now it's like, Oh, he's got this. I don't need to worry about it. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause he, he took a step away from the game too. Right. Took yeah. a little break and now you, you would say that was pretty beneficial for him.
1: You know? Yeah. I, I it scared me. Cause I, I thought he might not ever play again. And you know, I remember, so it's, it's it's a good story. He's like nine, maybe 10. And he says, dad, can I talk to you in private? We're out at the, at the park at someone's game, can I talk to you in private? And I'm like, there's nobody out here, dude. <laughs> no. But it you know, it's his way of saying this is, I got a serious conversation. So yeah, what is it? You know, he's like, I don't, uh, I, I don't want to play baseball anymore. And my first thought as a coach of this club team was, yes, <laughs> I, need, I need to break this team up, but I'm too nice to cut anybody. Especially anyone that was loyal to me from the beginning, I couldn't cut. But I also knew we weren't going to compete with what we had, so I'm like, awesome. That's the Let's way. stop right now. <laughs> but I just told him, and you know, and it was the right answer. Of course, I just said, hey man, listen, buddy, you got to do what makes you happy, not not what made Dad happy, not what makes anyone else happy, but find what makes you happy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Dad, I don't care. We can try basketball. We can do flag football. So. He got to play some basketball. He's always been a big kid, so he did really well there. He goes out for football for the first time. He ends up taking the quarterback's position from him. I'm like, awesome, you know, yeah. He's just he's smart. He sees the field, makes quick decisions. But he hates it because he's not scoring the touchdowns. Okay. I'm like, are you serious? Like <laughs> is you, you the qu- everyone wants to play quarterback, but right. But that's okay. But then, yeah, like I said, he. Uh, We are playing catch. And I said, you sure you don't want to try one more time? We'll go back to little league. I'll shut up your, I'll give your coach help if he needs it, but I promise I'll lay off you, but you're throwing really hard. You should play. Yeah. And so he came back and and had a lot of success last spring and, you know, kind of became the ace of that all-star team. And and once he started getting success and and then he started learning how to hit a little bit that he's uh, now he really enjoys it because he's, you know, he kind of gets the oohs and ahs in batting practice. And, you know, it's, it's funny when, when you're, uh, when you're good, you know, how you like, how you like something. And he's got a, he's got a different personality. You know, I, I, I'd say he has way more tools than I had, but I, I just loved playing and I was a little bit more scrappy than he is. Mm -hmm. But uh, man, if he, if he puts it together, work ethic, he's got, he, I always say he's got your kind of tools. Like, your strength at that age is, it was it I mean you and I, I I explain this I say you know people <laughs> always ask you know was was I as good as you and this and that and the other and I so there was a big difference I was a good hitter and I got my home runs and I did all this but there was something that you had that was just electric I try to explain to people your hands were so quick you know your hands were like lightning and it was your strength that just you know got your hands through the zone so quick and it, you know, he's kind of got that same, you know, fast twitch, mm-hmm. real strong for his age, and it's, it's pretty fun to watch. It's the egg protein shakes at eight and nine. Uh, what I've learned is, what I've learned is, if you play um, Fortnite for five hours a day, you actually develop pecs. <laughs> <laughs> it's pecs and back, and it doesn't do anything. It's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like the weight room trying to look like that never look like okay. that that's interesting because i in all the
0: conversations i've had so far like the video games that have been brought up you know it, my son goes loves video games i we kind of as parents go through and you're like okay we try to set boundaries and hours and okay you have one hour to play your game and then they get older and they get older and then they realize well that's all kids are doing in their spare time is just playing their video games and they don't you know, occasionally they go over to friends' houses. You know, you and I—I I lived at your house, you know, yeah. or you lived at my house, right? And we would play a video game for an hour, and then, but mainly we were outside, right? Yeah. And typically playing basketball. You know, we weren't yeah. even playing baseball. Maybe wiffle ball occasionally.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, like we
0: were always doing something. So I miss those days.
1: One, one yeah. is our video games weren't as good. Yeah. But this is what I've learned from having a son and a daughter. So my daughter's 10. Uh, JC's 10, Connor's 12. JC is a social butterfly and she loves hanging out with her friends and you know wants to do something every minute with one of her friends. And she does her sports too. She plays club soccer. She's doing really well. I don't worry about her one bit. She's like, She's like you know, sixteen-year-old, and she takes care of herself. Yeah, yeah. But the way boys hang out now is on the headset, on the on the video games. So if he was to go to a friend's house, they get bored because they both can't be on the game console at the same time. Right. And so the only way they can play the video game together is he's got to come back home, <laughs> take his console to their house. It's it's kind of messed up, but yeah. but that's it's what the, it's like all they want to do, and I worry about him if he's getting the social skills that he's going to need in life. Right. And and his personality's different than uh than jay-z but but still, you know, he's he's missing out on a lot of just social interaction. And yet, you know, we are limiting the game as well. We even made him sign a contract. Yeah. I mean that, that's how it got and and uh with COVID-19 we we backed off a little bit cuz he's been stuck at home for so long, but uh you know that when he gets in these he's more angry of you know he's an angrier person he's he's got a temper yep when he when he gets on the games too long and it's it's amazing to watch it happen in front of your eyes you know you see the articles and you you know it but then you actually see it and you see it, their personality change and it's like as a parent like all right we got to stop this or limit this so once he hits about the two-hour mark, he becomes the Incredible Hulk. He just transforms into an angry person, and so that's when we got to cut him off.
0: Yeah, no, it's yeah. So there's a boundary, there's a time, and um, you know, my my oldest is a 20-year-old female, my daughter. She she didn't could care less about video games. It's just my son, basically, um, and that's talking to other parents. So yeah, it's it's the boy usually. Then mm-hmm. um, the girls just want to. They're more like on the like the TikTok side or the the apps, right? With their phones and shooting videos and all this type of stuff. So it's, it's different because it's just a different time. You know, I'm sure we would have probably done the same thing, made TikTok videos. And, you know, we used to think we were boys to men, you know. <laughs> we, were, we were pretty close. We were pretty close. We were probably the next new kids on the block, um, along with a couple of our other buddies. But Looking back, you know what's funny? Um, Bracken was going through some – we were moving some stuff around, cleaning up the house during COVID um, as we're stuck. And she found some old tapes, and she popped in a tape (laughs) of you and I singing.
1: And I'm like, wow, this is so bad. Yeah, we we thought (laughs) – the problem was – here's the problem is people told us we were decent, and they should never have lied to us like that. Right. Well – they encouraged us.
0: Well, it, it worked for me because I married my high school sweetheart. You know, <laughs> and you found
1: yours a few years later. And well, the funny thing is, I found mine actually when I was playing the guitar and singing in shows. There she you go. Me As an athlete. Yeah,
0: yeah, you you kept with it. You became a guitarist. Um, you actually at my wedding, saying, um, Green Days. I hope you have the time of your life. That's you were right. the vocalist. I think Sean was the guitarist, my brother, and just killed it. I got that on video still too
1: yeah you know the thing that i'm most jealous about about not playing baseball anymore is watching barry zito on the mass zinger did you see barry on the mass zinger i didn't see that one yeah so you know barry and i were friends all through you know we got to play in you know Teen usa together in high school and in all the area code games and then uh faced him in college all the time at sc so we we got to become you know friends and everything and and I, knew, and I knew he sang, and I knew he played guitar. And, and uh, I told my kids the first episode. mass Singers were some celebrities yeah. in the mask. You don't know who they are. Yeah. Through his clues and the very first song he sang, I said, that's Barry Zito. <laughs> you knew it right it's away. The only one I've ever gotten. But, yeah, I knew it was him. It was, it was awesome.
0: I would say Bracken and I picked out Donny Osmond the first year right away.
1: Like, that's Donny. I didn't watch the first season, but, yeah, that one was pretty <laughs> obvious. That's
0: yeah. awesome. So yeah, you actually um now did you you actually had a band, didn't you, for a little
1: while? I had a couple pretty bad bands, yeah. Yeah, I had one in college where you know, I was sang to some girls and you know, thought that was cool. Right. And then I had a couple after you know, after I was playing and stuff, being a young single guy. Yeah. We like yeah. chick
0: dig guitarists, right? Rock and roll. Yeah
1: absolutely you know if you can't be an athlete you want athletes want to be rock stars rock stars want to be athletes you that's know right. but uh i tried both and you know was decent at at both but never you know couldn't quite make it in either one so it's all right <laughs> yeah you know, my awesome. dad's a musician so that's
0: right yeah your your dad has uh if you ever seen a blue man group here in las vegas he did the the music the sound he was like a soundboard guy for the Blue Mac group, right? Yep, sound man. In- sound engineer is the Sound prop, engineer, yeah. Yes. yeah, Amazing singer, has tapes of his own. Yeah, that's out- outstanding. So I want to go back to your, your Bishop Gorman days as the head coach. Um, as we were texting earlier, talking about a few things. So you, you have full claim that you made Joey Gallo who he is today. So tell us about that.
1: You know, when I got to Gorman, my first year, I was just I was just helping out, uh, just kind of the the you know top JV guy as the head JV guy, and then I was a varsity assistant. And Joe was just a freshman, big, sloppy, uncoordinated, never hit a baseball before, and I started working with him solo in the cages, and I said, Joe. You know, that probably that ball probably would have went like 420 feet that's not good enough and we gotta go we gotta go, we gotta go, go than more than, than that. that yeah so yeah so i get all the credit for that and so yeah uh you know i took over i took over in 2011 as the head coach at bishop Norman. and joe was a, was going to be a junior that year uh of course he was already um of course, everything I just said was a lie. He was very, <laughs> he was, you know, a stud and uh, you know, what What a lot of people don't know is he threw a hundred miles an hour uh, in a game on the mound. Mm-hmm. So he could have easily pitched too, but, um, but with him it was more just helping him make little adjustments when he would start to pull off the ball or, you know, not get that true backspin that he wants to get on it. But with him it was more trying to prep him for playing pro ball, how to handle himself, you know, what to expect, things like that. But you know, there wasn't much uh it was how quick can I get Joe out of a slump if he's in one? Right but, you know, he was already uh on his way to do great things. So it was it was it was a blessing to get to coach him because he was very uh he was a great leader. And you know, we had uh We had an assistant coach, Ben Rosenthal, that would condition him, and he would pick out Joey. And we let Joey know that we were doing that for a reason, you know, that if if he could take it, then everyone would follow. And he became a great leader, taking taking ground balls before practice and doing all his work. And um, real good to have a guy like that around, especially when you're just becoming a new coach and you're trying to get everyone's respect. If you get that guy's respect, everyone follows, right? So – that uh, it's pretty lucky to get a guy like Joey Galli your, your first year coaching.
0: Absolutely. The,
1: the other 10 guys that were awesome players there, too, that year, right?
0: Yeah, so you, you brought me over. Um, I was in a transition of, of jobs myself. I was already done playing with my career, and I was working at NCSA, a, a scouting recruiting organization, and um, that had ended over there. So you would call me up like, be like, dude, like, come co- help me coach at Gorman. And I'm like, I think I think it took a couple calls because I was like, I'm not sure. I should probably find a full time job. And you know, I was like, yeah, that sounds kind of fun. You know, just because yeah. if you if you if you know Gorman, it's Gorman is who they are. But you know, we were both Green Valley guys. So it's like going to your rival school, you're like it's like wearing the wrong color, right? It's it it's it is, going yeah. to the enemy essentially. You're
1: selling out, dude. You're, you're selling, selling out. out.
0: Yeah, so it's you kind of you kind of get over that a little bit, but I'm like, dude, I'm going to a, if you call it work every day with Nick, Chris Latham, Ben Rosenthal, and then Mike Nanini came on board. Uh, Greg Maddox would show up because his son Chase was a JV, and he'd help out with some pitchers here and there. So I was mean, like, this is outstanding. So then you had Joey Gallo, uh, we know who he is. Then you had um, who we didn't even really know that he was going to – well, maybe we kind of knew, but we had Nick Gates, who is now playing in the NFL with the Giants, yeah. right? So, you had yeah, two, like, legit professional athletes on this team. And what do you know? We won the national championship that year. And during that whole time – told the story many times that that year is what got me into scouting because yeah. I saw Joey Gallo, Lucas Giolito, all these guys and all these scouts everywhere. I'm like, man, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I only coached there a year with you. And I'm like, we just won the national championship. I got, I got nothing left to prove here.
2: You know? <laughs> yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> What's next? Check yeah, it out. And, yeah. And you stayed there, I think a few more years. Um, and then things just didn't work out. You know, you kind of have your own story with that, but, uh, but man, that was a fun time, you know, and just being out on the field with those guys and uh, the caliber of players. Um, you know, I, I never had any issues or problems with Gorman kids. You know, they, yeah. When you're kind of on the outside, everybody wants to beat up on Gorman because they, of course, you know, and that's kind of the way it is. But I'm like, I still coach kids at this scout team with the Dodgers right now. And every kid that's on comes from Gorman is awesome. You know, they're they're hard workers. They do their thing. Um, Yeah, they might drive a Tesla, you know, or they might drive a a Range Rover, but is what it is. They still put their work in.
1: Yeah, there's a big difference in the student parking lot and the teacher parking lot on on the cars, right? <laughs> That's, That's right. That's fun. No, yeah. it, it was, it's a great experience, and and like you said, you know, I, I, you know, I got all, I had all you guys to help me out, and um, I think with uh, a guy like Gallo, I think you know the talent was just off the charts. Everybody knew it, but to have a guy like you who was also a first round pick uh, that went through the same things he was about to go through a guy like me um, you know, the name might not have been there and stuff, but I went through the same things myself with the, with the pro scouts and and all the attention and to have a couple people like that, that can walk you through that and, and help you with that is, is, you know, I think that's the, the best thing a guy like Gallo could have. I mean, he was going to hit, no matter where he was and, and no matter who he had, he's going to figure it out, you know? So um, it, it's just a pretty cool experience to, to get to have a guy like that. And then, you know, to have a guy like Caden Grenier, a different, different player, uh, but to have a middle infielder like that and, and then work with him, you know, basically from eighth grade through his, his senior year and watch him develop was, was special. There's not a lot of high school – infielders that they can do what, what he was doing and so we we're definitely spoiled a little bit with the guys we got to work with um but trying to teach them whether they wanted to listen or not all the time just about I used to tell them don't give scouts any reason to 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 not like you you know they already like you they're here don't give them a reason to not like you and as you know sometimes that advice was uh not listened to very much but it is what it is yeah, that's good advice because I've seen that a lot
0: as a scout going to um, there are some there are some places here that I went to some games locally and I'm like, wow, you know, kind of kind of surprised at the uh, the actions and the antics that were going on, and you know, some some scouts don't really care about that stuff because that that might be a part of the makeup that you're trying to put together and give to your front office, you know, and but. Are they glazing over that information, or are they taking it serious, or like, yeah, this kid might be a little um, he's just maybe immature you know this time and may, might need a few years, but or we just need to really pay attention and and stay on this kid
1: yeah yeah your your actions say a lot, you know your baseball actions and, and your and your your actions that that aren't on the field they they say a lot you know I, I, a real good story about that is uh, coach Horton at at Oregon called me and asked if, if, uh, if he should come see my shortstop. That was Grenier, right? And I said, yeah, you probably might want to come down and see him play. And he came down to San Clemente. When we go down to those California Beach tournaments, the, the ball's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. It just gets in that dead air. Gallo's the only one that hit it 800 feet in that air. <laughs> but I remember this tournament where Caden Grinier probably went 0 for 23 that weekend. But his baseball actions and the way he he handled himself in the field, Coach Horton asked me, he said, What do I have to do to get that kid to come to Oregon? And so, you know, often we think it's it's what our stats say and what uh you know, did was I throwing ninety one or was I throwing, you know, ninety-four right. or Man, I was over twenty three, bet I just ruined my whole chance. You know, no, it's these guys these guys can see how good you are by the way you swing, the way you carry yourself, the way you move, not it's not always, you know, about stats and, and what you did that particular weekend or whatever. And and I think sometimes the, the kids don't realize that and they get hung up on the wrong things. But that was always a good learning experience. That even, you know, as much baseball as I had seen, that was a good experience for me to hear a guy like Coach Horton say that to me. You know, like, oh, that kid's awesome. I'm like, he just sucked up the field. What are you talking right. about?
0: Yeah. You know? It goes a long way. Yeah, it's because they know, like, well, this kid, okay, what's the history? Well, he's been playing shortstop since he was a freshman, or at least sophomore, every day since his sophomore year. So he must be pretty good there. And you just you just start putting all these things together and knowing – because I think when you're a player and you've been through it, you, you know you're going to have your over for 20. Yep. And when, when does that happen, you don't know. But when it happens, it sucks, and you're trying to <laughs> battle it, go through it. But then you, it, something clicks, you know, you figure it out, you get a, a little duck fart over the second baseman's head, <clears throat> but you still play the game hard every day, right? Mm-hmm. You still put that full effort in. You know, you can still be a great base runner. You know, so you can still steal bases. You know, all those little things that the coaches are really paying attention to, um, that's where I really, really stress with some of these players individually on a scout team like, dude, you got to do these little things. If you're lazy on the bases, because if I'm there specifically to watch you, I'm watching you every move, right? If you're taking your shuffle, shuffle, then you casually walk back to first. You're Joe Cool, Like this kid, he has no intention to get to second base. Right. You know, like those, those little things, like that's what we're looking at and picking up on. And so it's, it's being aggressive, right, and the whole time yeah. and looking to get that extra base to score. So, it's interesting. That's that's good enough. I like that with Grenier and I thanks for sharing that story. That's great.
1: Yeah, and I used to try to tell these guys hitting is the same for everybody. At least, you know, the the good hitters hitting is a cycle. You you hit good, you're hitting great, you're hitting great, and then you're you're hitting so great and feeling so good, you're like I'm going to hit three home runs today. And you try right. and then you try to actually hit three home runs and your swing got a little bit long and you were over 3. And now you're frustrated, you were over three, and you try even harder next game. Now you're over six, and so all of a sudden, now you're in a slump. Right? I was just doing great, now I'm in a slump. And then you got to make you work hard in batting practice, you make these adjustments to get out of the slump. And like you said, maybe you get a bloop over the second baseman's head, but it's because you've made an adjustment, and now all of a sudden, a couple balls drop, the swing comes back, you fix whatever. And you're hitting good again, and then eventually you create a couple of bad habits. And I used to tell the guys, I say, the best hitters and the, the ones that separate a guy like me that couldn't get out of A ball to a guy that plays 20 years in the majors is those great hitters, their period, their slumps are shorter and shorter and shorter because they make their adjustments faster. Yeah, and then when they're hot, they're able to stay hot longer because they don't get overexcited, and so the longer you can stay on your hot streaks and limit the amount of time you're in your slumps, you know that's gonna that's gonna equal success. Absolutely, and that's you know a lot of that's up there in the head and what goes on up in the head, you know.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that, when you were at Stanford, um, you know one of the best schools in the country did they did they do anything because a lot of schools now have um like a mental skills coach or a sports psychologist did they have any of that back when you were in school
1: they didn't um they didn't then they may now because it's become more of a you know it's become well uh, more of a well-known thing and I, man, I would love to ask, you know, we sent three guys there and I'd love to ask them if they do something like that now, because I believe I heard that they do. And I know when I did transfer the one year to BYU, I took a class about uh, sports psychology and it was geared specifically for baseball and softball. And, um, I took it as just a free credit to be eligible to play baseball because I was at BYU I was taking 12 credits and that's it because I was going back to graduate from Stanford and and I uh (laughs) so I took that class with a lot of softball players okay and some of their things were just a little too extreme for me you know about the way they prepped and what they were looking at and studying and focusing and some of it made me laugh but then but then as funny as some of that is there's some also some really good things out of there too and sometimes you know you don't even realize that's an issue until it's an issue right right. you can go 20 years of playing baseball and never have a a thought in the world about it and then one day you're frustrated and this is you've never had to deal with it before how do you deal with it at that point right Mm -hmm. and i think so addressing it early can save a lot of people's careers you know i was uh coaching you know going back to Gorman you know Jack Little I I told Stanford he is the best freshman pitcher I've ever seen you guys got to go get him they go get him and he gets you know the yips his sophomore season at, at Gorman and you know not I wasn't worried about Stanford but I was worried about the kid I loved the kid and and uh, luckily he got himself out of it which is hard to do especially as a pitcher um and then had a great, great career at Stanford and, and got drafted. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's a funny thing. It can happen anytime to anybody. And, um, and you and I both know it's not just the yips or a throwing thing. It's, there's a lot more to it. It can be an offensive thing. It can be, you know, fielding the ball, whatever it is. But,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it doesn't it's, – it's just one of those things that might not happen until it happens. Right. and then what do you do no one's ever taught you or prepared you for that yeah i look at um with you I, I know you better than anyone and your career better than anyone really and you know i would even watch you you come down to the minor leagues to triple a and you're just hitting missiles right away just you know just like i'm like man he's hitting the ball hard and then i watch you on tv in the big leagues i'm like ah it's usually a pitch he wouldn't take right so, yeah, I yeah, just saying, no, I kind of saw with you just, just some yeah. of the aggressiveness in the big leagues compared to even AAA. And, you know, it's, it's just, I don't, I don't know how you, I never got to that point. But, I mean, how, how does anyone deal with that when they haven't been prepared
0: for it? Right. Yeah, yeah and, and I think a lot of that stemmed for me was I started to think about things that I never thought about in the minor leagues. I, I would just go play right, and trust my talent, trust my ability, then when I would get up to the big leagues, I had I felt like I had to live up to something.
1: You had to prove you belong there, right? You have to prove you belong there.
0: You have to prove that you're, you know, you were worthy of that first-round pick, that that you're worthy of being the next best prospect since Barry Bonds, you know, is, yeah.
1: which well, was Pittsburgh. And For you, there was a lot of pressure. Sports Illustrated, right? National League Rookie of the Year is going to be Chad Hermanson. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean,
0: and that that was so that that's kind of when I the whole point of all this is when I that hit me at roughly age twenty twenty one, like you said, you don't know when it's gonna hit. Uh, well, that that's when it hit for me on the biggest stage, right? Um, how do I cope with that? How do I handle that? I guess I just try to figure it out. Like, no, it would have been nice to actually have somebody to talk about with it, yeah. or at yeah. least at least share it because that's the biggest thing is like, you, you, you want to be a man, you want to go through and figure it out. And, and that's a big part of it, right? You want to figure it out and like, I can do this. Um, But there's also when you talk to other coaches and like my Jeff Bannister, my manager, he's like, yeah, I wish we kind of would have handled things differently Um, or just giving you something to, or someone to go just talk things out, you know, and maybe put a game plan together on, how to handle that. Cause I know that personal friends that are mental performance coaches at the big league level, these big leaguers are ha- having those same, like, it's not new, right? right. It wasn't just me or somebody else. Not, it's not a group of five people that it happened to uh, that's it's baseball. So it's, it's learning how to cope with it, get through it, uh, learning how to not let people down, you know, that it's, 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 it's that's not your job or goals with other people. Like, just go figure it out, work on it, talk about it, figure out what you need to work on with your swing. You know, there's, there's so many, you yeah. can you go work it out basically, um, and have some type of game plan and just dive into actually how you're thinking about things. You're like, God, why am I thinking of it this way? You know, and, and having, cause you don't, you're in your own little mind and bubble. Yeah. And then someone comes along and says, Hey, well, what about this? And you're like, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Right. That makes total sense. <laughs> yeah.
1: So it's interesting. Yeah. And, and everybody's different. You know, I've, I've, for me, I never once, you know, thought about when I throw this ball, is it going to go exactly. When I started wondering, God, oh, do I want, do I keep doing this? If I'm not, if I'm not, uh, Ooh. yeah, you froze not... on me for about 10 yeah. seconds. Yeah. I was looking at the screen that my message there, but you got to, like,
0: when I was going to go to throw, then it stopped. So go ahead and continue there.
1: Yeah. W- when I was going to throw, I knew it was going to go there. I, but it, I didn't think about it. I didn't think what my ca- mechanics were. It just did. It was I was very accurate, even from the outfield, you know. And But when I got to my last season of uh, A-ball, and I started wondering, like, is, do I want to do this if, if I'm not feeling like I'm a big prospect on their list, you know? Yeah and and this isn't and i'm not bad-mouthing the padres i understand i was you know it wasn't i'm not saying they made a bad choice or anything but once i was kind of started thinking am i in this all the way i couldn't hit mm, you I mean
0: yeah when you when you, you kind of yeah. checked out you were yeah. like yeah
1: yeah i i got up there and felt like i'd never been in the batter's box before right and it was a weird feeling and uh maybe maybe for me it was a good it was helped me make my decision a little bit easier but but yeah it it was weird the thought process was different and it's it's hard to overcome and yeah if you don't if you don't get help for it or no one prepares you for it because because you know growing up we had really good coaches I mean we had one of the best ever you know especially in Nevada and nobody ever talks to you about hey at some point you may hit a wall that is hard to overcome and it has nothing to do with your ability. This is what you need to do. Right. Right. So how do you, and I, and I think they've come a long way since then, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's just an interesting, you know, fact that that we didn't really talk about back then.
0: Right. Yeah, no, it's good. I'm, I'm glad it's, it's starting to get out a lo- lot more and, um, you know, I think it's always a, a little bit of a hurdle with with the younger kids, high school and below. i um, working with a college team now, you know, and they they uh, individually will text me like, "Hey, when can we set up a call?" You know, because and it's it, and I always tell kids it's not necessarily because you have like quote an issue going on or happening, but you're like, "Yeah, I, I'm going through this," but like, how would you handle it? You know, I help them give them some options, talk about it, you know, in a way help them get this interference that's happening for them out of this, out of the way. And so they can, you know, move forward in some way, you know, and like, Hey, let's try this, see how that works. Um, give it, give it a little bit of a, a time. It's not, I'm going to try it once. not nope, That didn't work. Let's but right. give it some time, some reps. Um, but no, it, it's fun. It's great. It's, it's, and I think it's opening up. Uh, and I, we hear the mental health thing a lot. Um, with kids being depressed, uh, high anxiety, all this stuff. Now those are, that's a whole different ball game. Um, But there's things that you can learn and share and and talk about that at least give some tools and strategies to go out and cope with what they're dealing with daily.
1: Yeah. So, right. They they have a whole set of, uh, you know, our younger generation has a whole set of things that we didn't deal with. And um, when, as an adult, you, you hear about some of those, or as a father even, and you realize these things are real, it's, it's nice to know someone out there might be helping them, or, or, or there may be someone for them to talk to. I, I had a, uh, I had a, a, a student tell me they were contemplating suicide when I was teaching, so that was a, uh, you know, a big eye-opener to me, and, and and how do I handle it? You know, this here I have this young adult telling you know, showing their confidence in me that of out of all people, I'm deciding to tell about this. It's you. Right. I mean, that's a big responsibility. And and luckily, I put put them in the right direction. And I did the right thing. But um, it really opens your eyes. And and the more you know, the kids are on screens and and talking you know on social media, and and this is the new way of communication. And you know some of this the personal interaction is kids really lack and it creates all sorts of issues whether it be baseball or not baseball or any sport or just uh how they're feeling at home or feeling wherever And and they're serious serious issues and I think it's it's awesome that that there's people out there like yourself that are that are finally you know looking at this seriously and trying to trying to prepare kids for what could happen or what they're dealing with at this particular time. And man, I hope there's, I hope there's more people that, that uh, get into it as well, because there, there's more, there's more people out there that need the help than we ever realized.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And it's, and that's what's shocking. Like with the older kids, like I was saying, the college kids that they, um, in my short time working with them, I'm, I'm surprised in a way of like, how open they are right away you're like yeah i'm going through this what do you got you know what can you help me with and a lot of it's mainly baseball right it's like maybe dealing with a coach or hey I'm, I'm struggling or i'm in a slump but that that the another part of that is it's giving me big a lot of anxiety you know where i'm nervous about going to the park i'm nervous about my performance like how do i cope with these things um, so that's, I think that's where we all, like you said, sometimes it happens when you're 20. Sometimes it starts to happen when you're eight or nine because
1: you feel all this pressure to perform. <laughs> right. And that goes right back to what I was saying in the very beginning with, with club ball. Is, is this good yep. for our kids or is it, is it harming them? Are they, are they feeling too much pressure too young? You know, and I, I know there's some people out there that will say, you know, uh, that's a bunch of crap, Nick, you know, maybe your kid's not tough enough or whatever. No, that's, that's not true at all. Is, is this good for them to feel these kinds of pressure where they get bumped to a practice team at age 10, if, if they, they're not performing or right. their parents pull them to the next team or, you know, the, because the dad thinks his kid should be on the top club team. He takes the kid and puts him on a team that maybe he's not going to be successful on. And that kid's going through this and the dad doesn't even realize it, you know, there's a lot of, you know, sometimes I wonder, are we teaching winning at that level and and how to execute and and the camaraderie like that we had growing up every, you know, playing up together through from age 11 to, you know, graduating high school, you know, I, I wonder if, if they get that, you know, playing from club team to club team and scout team. and there's benefits to it too. A lot of them are friends from other schools and they get that kind of thing that, that we didn't have too much. And so there's some good things too. I'm not, I'm not knocking everything or saying it's all bad, but, but there's some, there's some things that worry me as a parent. And, you know, I, I have the outlook of a coach on the other side, you know, cause you and I both know Bishop Gorman is only Bishop Gorman for three months and we're a club team for the rest of the year. <laughs> and so we deal with all the same club issues that, that all the other baseball clubs deal with. So they're sure. yeah. a lot of baseball. Absolutely. And they're all trying to get to, you know, you got six teams all trying to get to that one elite team and that's, it's hard to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Nick, man, this has been awesome. Do you have any, uh, any last piece of
1: advice or any last story that you wanted to share with us? Chad? you know, I'm going there and that's why I'm dressed in full uniform. <laughs> so. I got to see, luckily, the video with Fry. Yep. And I've never seen his videos before. But I want to meet the guy. I want to give him a hug. And I want to give him all my millions of ideas on what he can do on his next video. Because okay. I have. Because I've been dealing with this same thing with with hitting and, and launch angle and getting back on plane or it's all nonsense to me. And I know people argue this all day long, but I'm just giving my two cents and backing him up right now. Yeah. That you got to get from point to, to the baseball as quick as possible. Anytime you drop your hands, you're in trouble. And here's where the Stanford thing comes in. (laughs) It's physics that for the ball to carry, you need to get backspin on the ball like how I point out my window there, carry, you know, way out there. But, uh, but yeah, you gotta, you gotta hit the ball with backspin. It's got to come off the bat the right way. And if the, if the barrels underneath the ball, it's just simple physics. You can't get the right, the right carry. Now there's guys that might tell themselves something and whatever they're telling them, if it works, Hey, it works. And I, I got nothing against that, but, a lot of kids are getting the wrong message. A lot of I had a I had a dad on me because I was teaching his kid to just pull down on the ball, pull down, and he said, "Hey, don't ever tell my kid to hit into the ground again." I said, "Well, don't bring your kid to my practices anymore." Huh. And you know, <laughs> there's there's a video with Trout and A Rod, and A Rod talks about Bonds, you know, hitting the ball right into the ground to start batting practice. Trout's talking about top hand. Gallo's in the cage, just saying he's trying to backspin at the center. I mean, the only new thing about launch angle is they can measure it now. It's not a new phenomenon. So there's always an angle the ball comes off the bat. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's coming off at some angles. Sometimes it's not a good one. But uh, but I, I would never want my son or one of my players worried about the launch angle of the ball. It's just yeah,
2: you know,
1: it's fun to measure, but it's uh it's useless. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I just needed to back that up. That's all.
0: No, nah, it's been good. Yeah, it's uh and again, you know, some some guys will have some success doing some different things, you know, that you and I did or what Jeff Fry did
1: and, and I mean that's a whole that's probably a whole different show, right? Oh, I've thought I've thought <laughs> about doing what he did. So when I saw those, I was cracking up. Yeah. But I think you and I were at Stanford together and we were watching Josh Donaldson talk about it, about his mentality. Yep. And I'm gonna put that on the record right now. I'm not one to to talk about Josh Donaldson's swing when he can hit the ball much farther than I can and he's got a great swing. And whatever he thinks is great for him. But when I would see his swing, I would see lightning quick hands getting to the baseball, even though he's talking about something else. Right. And whatever works for him works for him. He, you know, great player. Got nothing, you know, like again. I'll take that with a grain of salt. I'm not knocking the guy at all, but it's just funny how, how we look at different things, but you know, it, it, there's, there's different ways to do things, but I'm a big believer that you can't get underneath the ball or you're just going to create a lot of problems. Yeah. But yeah. I, well, I had to give my two cents on that, but I loved it. So no, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get you in touch with me and give some
0: ideas. Yeah. awesome. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. Well, David, fun, I, man. I appreciate your time, dude. This has been outstanding, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Connor, you know, continue to grow and hopefully he turns into a beast, and it'll be fun.
1: You know, I'm not saying that you should start scouting 12-year-olds, Chad, but um, he's he's almost bigger than I am. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's it's crazy. So he's 12. He's what? What, 6'2"?
0: Almost, What's the size? He's,
1: he's almost 5'11". Okay. but he's, But he's – he has more muscle than I do. I don't know how he got it. But he does. Yeah. Fortnite, he bro. He never got an awkward phase. He just got super athletic. He yeah. like hit puberty, developed, and got even like faster, stronger. It's just kind of weird. It never never slowed him down. So yeah. Okay. But he still he still has a lot of uh a long way to go, but that's for sure. Sure. Absolutely.
0: It's a long grind. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, brother. I appreciate your time, and we will see you soon, man. All right, buddy. Thanks. All right, we'll see you. one Okay, we'll do. All right. Bye. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Nick Day. Nick Day is the man. My best friend growing up. He's doing well. Has an amazing family. Nick, I really appreciate you coming on and your words of wisdom with your Stanford experiences, your BYU experience, and how really difficult minor league baseball can be and the situations and circumstances that we have to deal with. Um, it's not always roses, and but you battled through it, a National Coach Player of the Year uh, for Bishop Gorman, so congrats to your career and to your family. want to make sure you guys are continually aware of my one-on-one coaching I'm doing uh, with amateur players and professional players, actually. Uh, reach out to me at chad at legacysportsclubhouse.com to have any inquiries about me possibly working with your athlete, your child on the mental and the emotional game. Thanks for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care.